0: This is a loving robot podcast, recounting tales from EverQuest directly from the people who worked on it. And now
1: here's your host, Sean Lord. All right. So I initially got into the industry uh, guiding an EverQuest way back in, the, in 1999. Um, that's where Sean and I met. Um, and I was actually hired. High- I don't know if you knew this or not, but I was actually hired to come out to San Diego to work um, right after I finished school. And uh, for some strange reason, I never got an offer letter. I just remember getting a phone call from uh, Alan being like, Hey, so you're supposed to start today. I'm like, did not know that. And uh, my roommate,
0: I remember it differently. I remember it being, we tried to hire both you and your roommate, Mm -hmm. but you wanted to stay on the East coast. So I've been telling the story wrong. No, no. So it, it was a little bit of both
1: because, I mean, I, I guess they expected me to pack up and move like the next day, but they had never given me any like firm offer letter. And uh, at that point, because I hadn't heard anything, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, stay out this way because, you know, I'm already here. Uh, and my roommate, Jeff, he went. So, you know, I remember when he packed up and, and, and went out that way but uh, I'm a little, I'm a little more cautious. Uh, and, and Jeff is still working for, I guess, daybreak. So it worked out for him. He's still in Austin. actually, I actually had dinner with him, uh, last year I think it was, but, uh, so yeah, after, uh, after that I ended up getting a job with uh, dark age Camelot, a friend of mine who was a guy who was like, Hey, you know, mythic is uh, up in your area and they're hiring. So uh, I was like, all right, fine. I uh, sent up, I sent in a resume and, uh, I remember this actually happened. Um, I went to the beach that weekend and they're like, Hey, can you come up an interview this week? It's like, nah, I, I, you know, I've got plans. So, uh, that was early September of 2001 and I ended up going in and interviewing and getting hired September 10th, 2001. Um, and that's kind of crazy because I think about that because the, you know, the very next day was even crazier. Um, and I was there for, I wasn't mythic until the end of 2000, until August But on the original game. Um, I started out in, in, in CS, but I was in CS for like two or three months. And, uh, I worked on, yeah, like I, said, I worked on the original game, just kind of a frontline content developer. Uh, and a lot of folks may remember this, you play the game, but, uh, <laughs> a lot of the dungeons after uh, level 30, and above were not itemized. So that was kind of the first thing that we did, uh, you know, after the game, and I've been out for like four or five. Um, then I moved into doing encounters and working. Uh, um, we worked on uh, a couple expansions. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a great team. You know, when we first started working there, and, uh, I don't know if we were like this, uh, when Sony was still, I guess, Barron or 989 Studios, but it's like we had this kind of small, intimate office of like 40, 50 people. And, uh, you know, it, it, it felt like a family atmosphere, which was awesome, you know. Uh, you didn't mind pulling 10, 12 hours. And, uh, it was, it was great. We worked with a lot of And then, um, you know, we kind of blew up around the time of the first expansion and, uh, and it's just went like a normal game studio. You know, you're just trying to, you know, capitalize on success. And, you know, after, after after a while, it just became, okay, well, I need to change. I've been working on this game for like four years. I even worked on Imperator,
0: uh for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. I Because um, I've been saying that I thought you had worked on Imperator and Because mm-hmm. uh, I remember there being at least like one... E3 or something where we met up and it was going on? Maybe? Yeah, I think that was 2004.
1: So, yeah. That would have been 2004. You guys, I think, were at that point. We're trying to... You guys had, like, uh, Star Wars Galaxies uh, in the black box that year with Security Guards and front. I remember that.
0: Okay. And, uh, um. So, was that 2004 then? Maybe uh, 2000... Uh, the, the previous one. 2003? I'm trying maybe. to remember because I, I went to... Oh man. Yeah.
1: Cause I went to, I remember our first E3, I think that was to my first E3 route. It was 2002. And I believe our, at that, our, I believe our game, I want to make sure I have this right. Our game was, we had some kind of publishing guild with Vivendi. And so, you know, we have our booth, you know, and, and, you know, we're showing our game right next to us is World of Warcraft. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and at this point they were just running around as dark elves or night elves rather. And, uh, there's no magic. It's like, you're running around this world and you're kind of looking at this it's like, ah, okay, I see it has potential. And then, uh, I think the, the, the bad boy at that point was, um, Oh my God. Uh, Wolfpack studios is shadow bane. And, uh, so we I remember us going over there and looking at that and man, that was a, that was a hot mess.
0: <laughs> so, oh my God. So Nick just came in to chat, confirmed uh, Planetside and Swig release was 2003, May and June, respectively. Okay. Um, there was a question DC Raid Boss asked So you came in to, uh, did you come into Dayok before launch?
1: So I, yes. So when I started in CS, it's September of 2001. I believe the game launched in October of 2001. Uh, so technically, yes, I was there and the game had already been in full development. There were a lot, I mean, there are a lot of folks. Yeah. So at that time, Mythic was in this townhouse office complex in Fairfax and, uh, CS was in this one building. Uh, and you know, we didn't have a whole lot of space. And I think initially there were maybe six to eight of us. And then you had the development side, um, you know, uh, and, and those guys, cause it was actually funny cause we had this, uh, we had our, our internet. We were basically hijacking our own internet because, uh, we had this little tube that shot out the window by the CS pit and, uh, some of a van, the delivery van parked in front of it. We lose our internet. It's kind of a problem when you're an online game service uh, service. But yeah, so I, I did that from September to December, so, of 2001,
0: and then I was involved with it in 2001. Okay. Um, there were a couple of questions that I want to make sure we don't miss. Otherwise, Bunny sure. will be very mad at me. Um, so, one question is, how much consideration in development for Dayak was there with the balance of items and how things, uh, and how things are added for PVE would affect <laughs> RVR?
1: All right. So the first part of that, as far as how much went into it, how much thought, uh, so we had a couple of really good item people, uh, guy named Eric and, uh, I believe his assistant was a girl named AC. And they had this spreadsheet that was really, really good uh, about, uh, balancing the abilities, uh, of the items that were being put in the game. So weapons and gear and whatnot. And, uh, they, they were really hardcore with it. They, uh, they did a really good job putting stuff into the game. Now, again, a lot of this was way post-launch. Uh, so, you know, it took a while to catch up. Uh, with regard to PvP, that one was really different. largely because um, when PvP was first out, it, it really, I don't believe, was much of an issue because everyone had access to the same weapons. At least until Trials of Atlantis. Uh, once came out... Um, that was, uh, I think uh, you know, Charlie Fox Shot comes to mind, but, uh, that, that, that one wasn't handled as well. Now, they did as well as they could with, outside as much as they possibly they could. The problem was, was kind of a mandate to make the items more Q-like, uh, meaning, you know, powerful, and, you know, there was a lot of, uh, player investment on the PvE side for items that would be used in PvP, and there was depth pushback, but, you know how it goes. Uh, but prior to prior to Trial of Atlantis, prior to TOA, uh, yeah, we, uh, I think they did a, a fantastic job balancing the items.
0: Okay. And then um, I'm going to get Bunny's last question, and I'll grab your question, Nick. Um, were you at Mythic when they were bought by EA and had to move offices a bunch of times during uh, war development?
1: Uh, I left... Uh, EA was snooping around when I left, I left in August, 2005. I went to Turbine and worked on, uh, Dungeons and Dragons online. Um, but I mean, at that point, you know, they're vetting. So we knew it was coming down the pipe.
0: Cool. Um, thank you for answering those. Nick asked, were there any cool features or ideas for Dayok uh, that were discussed but never implemented or cut due to technical reasons, et cetera?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so there was this idea uh, of um, there was a problem at one point being underpowered uh, with a problem. How do you make mages feel like they actually matter instead of just like, you know, not not being too overpowered, but then just okay. the other hand not being just complete dismissed because they don't provide enough of a uh enough support. And I know we talked about an idea of uh this thing called linking or whatever, where mages could like link up to the cats like powerful spells. Um and this was like this was after the first expansion was already out. Um God, there were a lot of other ideas. There was a guy named Roy, another guy named Maurice. They were largely for that. Um, cause I did most of the live side stuff like, uh, the rebalance of the dragons and whatnot. Um, so I don't, man, that stuff's almost 20 years old. So I don't remember all the ideas, but there were a lot of things kicking around that we didn't get in.
0: Yeah. Uh, I run into a ton here. One of the cool things about doing a stream has been, um, just how much information like <laughs> chat has. <laughs> I mean, the amount of just, everquest knowledge in chat at any given moment um allows me to continue to be the dummy i am but then go yeah i don't remember how any of this works and they'd be like just complete breakdown of it so it's pretty awesome um the and and i will say
1: though as far as technical limitations we had a great um uh server side uh, developer named brian and, uh, like we really, when I try to, like, I guess personalize encounters, uh, a lot of the functionality that we had at launch, uh, doesn't compare to what came in later, uh, like trying to simulate some kind of AI. Roy, uh, was probably like, that, that dude had some ridiculous ideas. Like I don't know if any of these folks played Charles of Atlantis. There was like this heart harpy encounter. No, that was. No, it was a chess encounter. He did this chess encounter uh, where you interacted with the chess pieces. And that dude literally had to spend a month, if not longer, on that encounter. uh, And it was fantastic. I mean, just stuff that that dude came up with is just amazing.
0: Right on. Um, I'm thinking, I'm trying to find a good way to get us back into some of the details of what it was just like to be in development in general on mmos during that period Mm -hmm. but i also want to i want to give you the chance to sort of go through the rest of your cv and then we can pop back to it i guess is all right so which one do you start which one do you want to start with first let's let's have let's have you go through your cv um so we finish getting that well-rounded view of kind of who you are based on that and then we'll come back and we'll just dig into what's the time that we have um sure. making games yeah no uh so after like i said after i left mythic i went
1: and worked on uh dungeon of dragons online up at turbine in boston uh that was again another fantastic team uh and you know for the most part uh, you know i got in the with uh some co workers I was at mythic so going and have uh largely forgotten realms and uh, the dragon Uh, so when I got the opportunity, I was like, Oh, this is cool. Um, you know, I've been in DC and Virginia for long enough. It's, it's it's broadened my horizons. And so, um, I went and worked on that project from uh development into a launch. And, uh, again, it was a lot of fun. Um, I I can honestly say that I never really liked the world of Everon. It never made a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, but you know, that was, that was what we were doing on the one hand. It was cool because it was open. There wasn't a whole lot known. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of lore, so we uh we could play around with it a little bit. But uh I, I also remember that, you know, there was some weirdness like dealing with uh um, uh like we had, I believe contractually we had to deal with Hasbro and Watsy Wizard of the Coast. So they both had like uh veto power and things. I remember at one point, like an art director came out and was working on this one count area of the Dark Dwarves. And uh she had a problem with the color brown, I think it was. And uh it was just like, uh okay. It's underground and you don't go around. Or whatever. Um, but I was only I was only there for a year and uh as much as I loved working at Turbine, I just really didn't <laughs> so I ended up um uh, taking a position uh at King's Isle to or Tom Hall on uh this product that never actually came out. Um called Socia, which was this uh, online social game. And uh, to this day, I don't think it's ever announced, but everyone who's working the project or in that building knows of the project because I
0: a lot of legacy. That. Yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, that's right. You worked there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was there for a couple of years and I, re- I remember the old Socia I guess, team and discussions of what it was meant to be, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah, I'm keeping an eye on uh, zoom. Zoom gives me a handy read on your, your connection. I think I don't know. Um, I don't know, chat. If you're seeing a message pop up, I see a connection message every once in a while pop up, but that may be in Nevada. Be okay. Right. I've I've finally fixed my connection on this end, so now I can I can start to blame the Americans for their internet. Um, no offense, uh, but yeah. So every once in a while, I may get you to repeat something if it um, if it broke up. So you you were there for Socha. I yep. totally forgot about that. Um and yeah, so then from there
1: uh, there's a question here yes, I was a DDO from launch so I worked on let's see here, I worked on the game from launch and I believe some of my launchers included uh, there was a vampire encounter and a few other things um, like I said, the, the, the dark dwarves oh man and I don't know what else was in there but uh, yeah, because I left in August of two thousand six. <laughs> but I guess I was there at launch. Um, and then yeah, social and social was a lot of fun. I mean, you worked there, so you know, not getting all those details. But yeah, social was one of those things where we were trying to just really find a good groove, and uh, there was a lot of good ideas in that product. I and mean, even that, like the housing, the mini games ended up in Wizard One actually. Um, like Wizard Stones was actually a game that was developed. By a guy named Tamir for our product, um, and Gary, as you know, I mean he was a housing king. It was another one that was designed by. Uh, I believe it was David White who actually designed the housing. Hmm. Um, but I was and I was there for four years, uh, and you know it was it was it was fun. Uh, and after I left there, I believe I went to a little startup called UTD Games and uh, worked on a project called Faction. Uh, which was this supposed to be free-to-play MMO game between heaven and hell. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, what can I say? Um, and then I went and worked for Zynga uh, on the Ville. And that was an interesting experience. Like, Zynga was awesome to work for initially. And then uh, I will say that the folks that came in from your realm that uh, kind of changed the atmosphere of that office before uh, before I left and I think after that is when I moved to Germany, just to try to, see if, you know, just, just to kind of see if I could, I guess, uh, kickstart my passion for making games. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that about covers all the, <clears throat> all the places that worked.
0: Yeah, because then you you moved out of games and into the real world of <laughs> software development.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you get older, you know, and, and you have responsibilities and you can't live here as a Ronin, it's kind of like, you know, you just want to drop anchor and kind of be able to squat in a place for, you know, more than two or three years.
0: Absolutely. And it seems like it's, it seems like it's been cool. I remember we used to discuss that a lot. It's like, man, look, how do I get a job? potentially outside of games. And that's when you started doing like interaction design UX stuff. And it was interesting to watch you progress into that and see that it was feasible if necessary. Yeah.
1: I, I was lucky. Uh, Cause one of the things outside of, I think most people think games, uh, they have this idea that we mostly just play games all day. Um, and then you have the people who just think that all we do is write stories all day. And, uh, I think it's a matter of, you know, kind of just getting people to understand it's like, man, there are a lot of different disciplines in design. Uh, and I, I will say that I kind of had a bastardized couple together experience because I started out as, you know, kind of a narrative kind of guy, right? Like you wrote your quests, you implemented your quests. So it was kind of, you did both. Right. Uh, but then it was also working on tools and designing and kind of doing the troubleshooting and the UX of that stuff. Right. So ultimately it meant that, in games like a designer did everything. It was a catch-all. Um, but I mean, you also have, you know, economy balancers or economy designers. You have, uh, you know, system design, which is what I spent a lot of part of my career doing. Um, and you know, I was, I was fortunate enough that I had a broad enough experience and range of, uh, range of experiences that, uh, you know, I was able to explain and show on my, you know, Folio that you know, yeah, it was it was a lot more than just you know writing a story about a dwarf who lost his hat and can you please not return it,
0: right? Yeah, and, and the I remember the the period when you were putting that together, it, um, it was eye opening for me and it allowed me to use a bit of what I saw there in conversations later on when I was trying to basically convey the same information to people. Um so I just piggybacked on your work on that one. Um let's see. Question came up that was Did you ever consider working on Warhammer Online or Camelot Unchained? So
1: no, 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 no. So there was a idea kicking around um before I left about uh Camelot prequel, I think it was. I want to say um and I don't remember the name of it. May have been Donna Camelot. Um but I think, honestly, that that would have been somewhat appealing just because Camelot was a lot of fun to work on. Like, I enjoyed the lore and the history and everything involved, and there was a lot to pull from. Um, I mean, we could have delved more into the, uh, you know, the mythical side of the, of the of the elves or, you know, more into kind of Midgard, a.k.a. guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think there was a lot more as well as Albion with the, uh, you know, Fisher King legends and things of that nature. So that stuff seemed kind of interesting. Uh, Warhammer, I was never a Warhammer fan. I I, I didn't play it. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, my first uh, entry into, uh, role-playing games like pen and paper was, uh, palladium, palladium based. So basically Robotech and, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, then, then d and Dungeons and Dragons, the various uh, you know, worlds of that, and um, you know, I didn't play the role playing game, but I mean, I enjoyed the hell out of Mech Warrior. So I mean, those are the kinds of things that I, I, I kind of enjoyed growing up. Warhammer, I just didn't have. I, I know there's a hardcore following bar for, for for Warhammer. I, I really, honestly, didn't have a whole lot of whole lot of interest in it.
0: So a uh, question that just came up was what's the most rewarding thing to design an MMO specifically from not in chat.
1: Um, you know, honestly, I think really it's it, it, the most enjoying things are always about, you know, providing experience that people remember that people enjoy. And I think in, in, in the case of my career, I think, um, I think the dragons, uh, and, Dark Age uh, were were kind of the most rewarding because I don't know if anyone played the, the dragons initially uh, and you had to get like a 200 plus man raid to take the dragons down um, you know it's it's it, back in those days uh, 2001 2002 that was actually acceptable for some reason um, but uh, I ended up having to do a full redesign of the dragons and uh, I basically some new functionality we had. So it wasn't basically they just came in and blew breath fire on you and got and, and your entire party. Uh, I actually put in some, uh, I actually put in uh, some warnings uh, that were basically broadcast to the area, as well as like some, some little uh, radiuses where people were trying to stay outside the radius and attack the dragon where you get to them. He basically just teleported folks and so they couldn't do any damage to him. Uh, and it was really meant to get it down to like, you know, a more manageable 30 to 50 person raid. And then, you know, people were doing it. Like people weren't doing the dragons for like months. They just, just forgot about them. And, uh, so we did the rebalance and, and, and we did the encounters, like people really started, uh, going at them again and becoming part of the, you know, the, 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 uh, regular rotation like, stuff that they wanted to do for the game. And, you know, they rebalanced the loot, I believe, as well. So it made it all work well. And then I think what ended up happening was uh, I got a report, because, I mean, I don't know if these people know this, but just about everything in games is tracked. <laughs> but I got a report one day, uh, and I can't remember if it was Sonya that told me or not. Uh, but they were like, yeah, so a group of, like, five people took the dragon down. And they were like, oh, shit, really? And so we went and looked at it, and it just found out that it took them like two to three hours to do it. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. Like I couldn't be mad at that. Like basically, literally two to three hours taking the dragon down. I'm just like, I'm not going to change this. I mean, God bless them man. That's good work. And I know a lot of people are like, well, that's not the intention. You know, we should, we should make this change. Nah, alone, you know, well, dude. I mean, they're doing it. If this is what they, if, if this is what they're willing to do, they're willing to sacrifice two to three hours, man. But, man it's 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 fine so i think that was probably my favorite my favorite memory from from working on games in general
0: right on uh bobby said didn't know Dayak had dragons Bobby, i didn't either um so yeah. i was just kind of nodding along like oh dragons okay. there are three there are three uh i believe are uh, they always in there
1: uh no they came they are part of the oh man there was um a major update, Scott. I'm sure Scott or Sony, but probably Scott Jennings or Scotty They probably remember the exact release. Uh, but I want to say it probably it was the first major release I was a part of. Um, oh my god! There was a wolf dragon for um, there was a wolf dragon for Midgard. There was a a red dragon, I think Abian, and uh, the elves had this weird glowing purple black dragon. But, uh, and they were all in there, you know, they were all couched within the realm. So the other teams couldn't, the other realms couldn't get to the drag.
0: All right. So the, the question Nick just had was, was the prequel you mentioned Dawn of Camelot also going to be an MMO or was it intended to be a different genre?
1: I, you know, I think it was meant to be an MMO, uh, cause that was Mark's, I believe that was Mark's great Um, and I know he had an idea for it and it was basically before, I, I want to say it was before Arthur became king or something along, along those lines, or maybe it's just at the beginning of all that, but, um, it wasn't very fleshed out and there was just kind of mentions of it. So we knew they were, we, we kind of had an idea of the high level concept, but there weren't a whole lot of details.
0: Okay. Um, you see Bobby's comment I'll read it out anyway just so people are listening at work Uh, Bobby Bick says I always thought Dayak had interesting design choices I imagine it was awkward designing content that only 33% of the player base could see unless they made alternate characters
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, but I think what we did is that we always try to kind of mirror encounters across the different realms. So nobody felt left out. Um, I mean, we knew people were going to make multiple accounts or might, or have characters in different realms. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, yes, we, we made three times the content, but honestly it was really just copying the uh, AI and just putting it in a different body. So I think in of cases it wasn't too, too bad.
0: And uh, question from Not says: Do devs who work with MMOs tend to jump between MMOs, or do you also do as many uh, do single player games in general?
1: As far as playing or just working on, I I don't think I've ever worked. Well, I, I'm that's not sure. The social games I guess would be. uh I never worked on a single player game and didn't. Other than C games, and that's largely because of a lot of the associated with, uh, you know, working in the industry. A lot of folks don't think that, <laughs> like, I've talked to console companies where it's like, well, you've never worked on a console, so, you know, you don't necessarily, you may not have experience in creating a game, uh, for this system. Uh, and it works both ways. You know, I've, I've seen it during interviews where people who had console experience wanted to come work with MMOs. It's like, well, you know, you've never worked on a PC game. So, you know, as if it's some kind of a knock against me, the reality is, man, if you can design or work on these things, I mean, you can do it. Anything that you don't know. I mean, in a lot of cases you learn on the job uh, because it's not too dissimilar.
0: Yeah. And I've seen so I've seen. Uh, especially good designers be able to, to flex in both directions. The one thing I have run into, though, is on the MMO side, because, I, I mean, I've basically just only worked on MMOs, is having um, some people that have come in from console games or console, even multiplayer games, come into an MMO environment and not realize the complexity or not account Ooh. for the the just the the player variable on this one, right? It's like yep. and it's just, you know, so coming in and just being focused on a very controlled cinematic moment and, you know, or like having a lot of control over the environment is something that they had to try to break themselves of. Um, yeah, I, me- I remember interviewing with a company who
1: I won't name or a project I won't name that needless to say didn't come out uh and they had, they had released a console game uh that was moderately successful um, and i remember talking to them about an MMO that they were, they'd been kicking around for a while And, you know it was pretty well publicized especially in Austin. everybody knew it you know cuz everything's an open secret and uh <clears throat> i remember asking them something about uh how they're going to handle you know combat on a uh, on, an, on an MMO and they were like, yeah, well, you know, we've got that already, you know, plan We are our engine for the console and it already handles that. But I'm like, but how do you handle the latency and, you know, working, you know, having to do all this online? It's like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, it, it works on the, on the console. So we're be fine. And it was like a major red flag <laughs> because I mean, MMOs are some of the most complicated games you can put together. Because, I mean, it's not just, on your screen and just, you know, whatever you're doing and just having to worry about your own horsepower, your machine, it's, 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 it takes a lot more. And, uh, needless to say, I found out that they actually didn't have like a network uh, programmer on the team at the time. And so I remember talking to someone who interviewed for that position, like, yeah, man, it's a shit show. And I mean, it's just like some people just really don't understand how much work actually went in those games. So it's like, you know, ever the fact that EverQuest and Camelot, and, and, and wow managed to do what they do uh, and, and be successful. Because then you can always have, uh, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember like early Anarchy Online.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. This
1: game at the time, but man, that game had all kinds of technical issues, you know, Shadowbane, same thing. I mean, it's, you, you know, uh, remember Horizons, <sighs> uh, you have a lot of games that just didn't factor that stuff in. And, and while they had great concepts, they just, they just crashed
0: and burn, literally. Jeremiah, I think you just found the the secret word, the, the name of the game that I've been trying to think of for, like, two weeks now, Horizons. Ah, yes. I, I need to look that up. <laughs> yeah, because I could have sworn, like, Horizons was going to be, like, the end-all be-all. Like, I could have sworn they committed to some crazy stuff with that game. Vampires, dragons—they had a whole. I mean, they had a whole slew of things that
1: everyone just like was excited about.
0: <laughs> Playable dragons. That's right, reindeer. This is this is the one that's come to mind a few times. I was like, was it AC2? No, it wasn't AC2. It was damn. It was Horizons. I gotta I gotta look that one up again because I could have sworn that was like just an epic tale of you're gonna do what? Um, yeah, dude. And to your point, I've interviewed at a couple companies as well where. While the interview is going on, I'm like, "Oh wow, this is going to be spectacularly bad." And by the end of it, it's just kind of like, "Thank you for having me out. I I wish you guys the best. Um, no. We're good. Okay, I'll call you. you. <laughs> yeah, it happens every once in a while, and it's it's weird that you you can see it when you come in, but they can't see it there. But that, that happens. So, dude. We'll continue to grab chat, uh, questions from chat, but I'm really curious. So going back, I, re- I remember you were, you were a guide, but mm-hmm. did you already have like aspirations to get in the industry, or what got you into the industry back then?
1: I mean, so uh, I'm going to throw out another. Uh, I, I was working at Babbage's uh, when when, came on, or when uh, EQ came out. And I remember seeing the box and thinking to myself, I was like, oh, this looks cool. But looking at the system requirements, man, I had a gateway 2000 with like eight megs of RAM or something like that, four megs of RAM. So this is way, way, way back in the day. So I was like, dude, I can't play this. And then, uh, then I was like, oh, there's a $9.99 subscription involved to too. Yeah, F that, man. Like you want me to pay 30 bucks, $30 for this game and then you want me to pay $9 a month, $10 a month to play it. And so when I was working at Babbage's, at the time we used to have this policy, we could check out games and, uh, you know, play them. So, I mean, it, it gave you a little insight so you could, you know, so when you're selling games and people were asking you about games, you know, cause there, there weren't a whole lot of review sites out there at the time that were really reliable and, you know, people used to like going to game stores.
0: There still aren't.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, uh, I remember talking to some coworkers and they were like, yeah, dude, we're playing, we're playing, uh, uh, EQ and, you know, they were exploring the version game was. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll check it out. And like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it, but I'm, I just want to check it out beforehand. And I honestly at that point, I had had no desire to work in games. I mean, I was studying chemistry. So, I mean, I figured I'd be in a lab somewhere. And, um, I started playing the game and it was like, okay, this feels a lot like playing, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. You know, someone just took that game and put it in a, in my computer box. And, uh, like this cool. I played a dark elf. Uh, I played a dark elf wizard, uh, not realizing that I was going to have a deck stacked against me, but you know, ultra vision was, was pretty awesome. Um, having to worry about, you know, whether the beetles, red eye beetles, whatever the hell it was. Um, so anyway, um, I did that for six months, and, uh, you know, I was, you know, level 50 or whatever. Uh, I guess when Kunark came out, they raised the level cap to 60. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so, I remember as a wizard with Kunark, and not to trash a product, but I remember having a conversation with Jeff about this ad. Wizards were kind of Shadow or, you know, Kunar. like, our spells sucked. The only thing, I mean, we basically turned into glorified taxis. And I remember talking to Jeff about that at one point. Like, ah, and this may be true. I don't know if this is not. Like, yeah, you know, Wizards weren't really tested. It was like, it, it really felt that way. <laughs> I mean, we had those drain spells, that make which were like next to useless for a while. Anyway, so I found that while I was, was having a hard time getting roots, so, and Drila, I won't forget that. I soloed Adrela from level 50 to level 55 outside the gate to uh fear. And that's what I did for like most of the time that I played whenever I couldn't get a group, which was most of the time. So 90% of my time was spent doing that. And I had it down to a science. Like I hear, I cast, I you know, cast my spells, and I sit down again and meditate, wait for it to come back. But I found that to be kind of boring. So I ended up guiding <laughs> and I spent a lot more time guiding than I was actually playing the game. And the thing about guiding is that you're still doing the, I mean, you're not really, you're not for gear. Cause you have all the best gear that's possibly available. I mean, you're essentially a God in the game. And, um, it was just fun. You know I mean? Hell, I, I met you and I met several other people, you know, through guiding. And, um, I found it to be way more rewarding than, you know, spending, you know, hours playing the game. And, and I say six because, you know, that's kind of a low, number because i mentioned this to you the other day um well i remember at my wizard i think i was level just getting to level 35 What the me for this crown i literally was online for 30 30 hours straight 32 hours straight I think, I think is what it was and we were camping trying to get these crowns uh for three different three wizards i got mine and i was like cool we got the last one and then we got a brown out in the apartment and i lost my internet connection. And that was like two o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, ah, I guess it's time to go to bed. But I mean, that was, that was fun back in the day, you know, back when I was in college, but you know, with, uh, with Kunark, like that just wasn't a thing. Cause there wasn't a whole lot of content for me to really be able to be a part of, because you know, people have been largely. It's like Druids became more useful than wizards and they could teleport too. So it's like, why have a wizard when these guys can heal? <laughs> and so after doing guiding for, I, I guide, I actually guided longer than I played EverQuest. I don't know if you know that or not, but yeah, I guided for like from nine, uh, from 99 or to, to two one. So yeah, dude. Uh, and, and that kind of got me, got my foot in the door. Uh, cause I honestly, I, I, when I had turned down the position at, at Sony, uh, I just, you know what? I'm just going to come back, you know, go back home, uh, go back to Virginia work and you know take the lsat and try to go to law school and then mythic came knocking and was like well hey this is novel i can actually make money instead of spending money and uh so i ended up doing that and it turned out to be a pretty fun career
0: yeah bobby you're virginia aren't you um let me see dude there was a question up here (coughs) i love virginia Virginia is gorgeous. Um, parts of it. Parts of it not so gorgeous, but Let's see scrolling up. Not sorry, asked.
1: Sorry how, question for Sorry, question for Hashbot. Yes, Mythic.
0: Okay, yeah, yes, Mythic. Um, how common is creative fatigue in MMO teams, especially successful ones? Uh, I'll let you have fun with that one. Oh god. Okay. Oh, so. And we are at the 10 minute warning for you, but if you can stay longer, we'd love to have you just. So yeah, you know I can stay. I, uh, cool. I can it's fine.
1: Um, fatigue in games. So back in those days, fatigue, so I think whenever we first got in the industry, I don't know if this is true for you, but this is definitely true for me. And, and some of the guys I came up with is that, you know, when you get into games, it's like a dream come true, man. It's like, wow, I'm making games. I love games. And so you don't mind an you know, extra mile working more than eight hours to get this game, to get something into the game, especially something you're passionate about. Like there are, like, I was actually commuting from Richmond, Virginia to Virginia uh, for the first six months. That I was a designer and for those who aren't familiar with the area. That's 90, that's almost a hundred
0: miles each way. <clears throat> you, and so, you broke up. What you uh, from Richmond to where I was commuting from Richmond to Fairfax, uh, Fairfax, Fairfax, Yep. Beautiful for,
1: for six months, so that's uh, that is 100 miles just about each way. And uh, you know, you get in, start your dad leave it, I'd leave it just before six in the morning to get in, and I'd get in around eight ish. And uh, I would stay until I would died down with around 6 p.m. and that was fine for me, you know. I mean, it's like I'm 23 years old, this is this is the same thing. Um and then you do that for a while and and it starts to at first you're like, I'm I'm able to do this. This is fine. Uh and you do that for a while and then you're like, you know what, I need to kinda take a I mean, you need to take the foot off the grass just a little bit and kinda cool off. But I mean the thing is and then at that time it was hard to do that because, you know, we were trying to catch up with con eventually in the area, so you know, that that plus commute uh hour and a half commute turn to, you know, seven minutes. Which was great. Um, but I was still doing it. Uh, and I think Trials of Atlantis eventually broke me. Uh, normal, you know, you know, people talk about 40 hours a week in games. That's almost never true, at least at that time. I don't know if it's true now, but back then it wasn't. I mean, if you weren't spending 50 hours at least, uh, you know, people will kind of give you the side eye. Like, technically you know you put in you're supposed to leave at six o'clock but you know or five or six o'clock and in those days you know if you tried to leave at five or six o'clock people would be questioning your passion and whether or not you're committed
0: what was it uh, called a like a five o'clock warrior or five o'clock champion there
1: used to yeah. be a term for it i dude i also don't remember but i think you're right and so you know it ended up you know for a while there like for Charles of atlantis <clears throat> For a good four solid months, we were working 60 to 80 hours a week. I remember um, getting to work at 8 o'clock, leaving at 6, going, going home to dinner, going downstairs with my personal computer, logging back into the server working until 12 to 1. And that was for a good solid four months and i hit a point where i just burned out like i just didn't care anymore like i just couldn't bother looking at it and uh you know i mean and a lot of people felt that way that's why i think a lot of people ended up leaving camelot to go work on imperador not because they had this you know passion for um classical Roman uh, architecture or just you know the idea of it was just like it's not camelot i need something new right but yeah, I mean, fatigue was, uh, was a, was, was, was a big deal. I mean, that was true even when I was working at, I think, Zynga. Uh, you know, we had this push. I don't know if people remember this or not, or even know about this, but, uh, the product I worked on called The, the ended up getting sued by EA because they had the, the Sims, uh, social game. And, uh, our game, Damn There, seemed like it was an exact copy of it. <clears throat> but I mean, there was this, there was this push. I remember management sent this email, uh, saying, we made a difficult decision to uh, crunch and what that meant was at the time is that you know the dev team would crunch, but not the executives. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it, it was prevalent in almost every company I worked at to some degree and usually just before launch. Um, so it was usually, you know, a few weeks here and there or before some kind of release. But I mean, you know, you saw it and you kind of like, yeah, this is, this is not good because I mean, you know, on the one hand, you'll have folks who, you know, will tell you that, you know, if you're not crunching, you're not working, you don't care. But the reality is if you're crunching, it's because of bad management from whoever is tracking the schedule. And, um, you know, you can't, for whatever reason, they, they didn't feel like they could cut things and just add them later. It was just like, it all has to be in now. Even though people aren't going like several weeks, it just all has to be done now. So yeah, that was, that was, yeah was very prevalent uh during the time i worked i don't know anyone uh, of all the contacts that i've had in the industry i don't know any of them getting crunch
0: yeah and so there's there's a crunch fatigue there's a creative fatigue i think on top of that as well mm-hmm. and then then there's also uh heaven forbid you have anything going on in your life <laughs> right yeah so um so there's a question, slightly different topic, uh, but I want to make sure that we don't scroll past it. Sitzall sure. asked, uncertain if you were around at the point where Agrimon Island was released, but are you uh, familiar with what the original intent behind the series of demonic seals um, atop the very center? There were rumors of summoning the demon lord Agrimon. So um, So I, I I think this is the
1: first expansion that was done after I moved off of Camelot to Imperador. And I actually don't know, but I may somewhere still have like the design document for this thing, like the word, the actual word document. Mm. (laughs) So I honestly don't, don't know the story behind it. some of the stuff that was done there, So there was a really good designer who, who, who came up uh, when I left, and Jen Ortiz. And I know she had a hand in a lot of stuff. So if there was any of the cool stuff, it was probably her.
0: So chat wants you to leak the document. I cannot, um, I cannot <laughs> condone that in the stream. Um, but if you get on our discord and you make friends and information is released over time, I don't think we can be blamed or held liable on the stream. (laughs) And I said, we, because all of a sudden the stream will become very, we, and not me. I'd be like, right. Um, let's see. The next question was reindeer night. Um, Said, your wizard story made me think of something when players are frustrated with their class power, they often say things like the devs hate that class. My question is, what leaves a class in balance? And why can it take a long time to change underpowered classes?
1: Uh, the honest answer to that is I think people misunderstand balance in a lot of ways. Uh, balance doesn't necessarily mean equal thing that people that's what I always hear. Uh, you know, seeing the message board and back in the days of, of Camelot, you know, we had the, had the, uh, we had the private boards where the team leads, uh, the classes would be. And, uh, and a lot of what happens is that you have people working on it, but trying to bring the cl- bring classes class more in line with where people want them to be. Play it. It's always a perceived weakness that my class can't do what X class can. And, 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 it's, it's a two-part thing really because, I mean, sometimes it's just a perception. Sometimes it's really true. <laughs> I mean, you know, like for me, I can say that I really know that my wizard was underpowered just because of the fact that I could never get groups. But, uh, you know, I know in, under David Camelot, like sometimes you will have classes that will, you will have people who post on the message boards and a lot of times it's the vocal minority. And what ends up happening is, is that the vocal minority, they just drown out everybody else because they're constantly pounding the same thing. And someone high enough in the chain may see this and be like, you know what? Uh, I play this class and I feel the same way. And now I've got proof that, you know, I'm not doing this way. And so they'll take that as a action item. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of times there is just really people don't fully know how to play their class. Like, Uh we'll take Dark Knights and and, and, and Everquest, right? Dark Knight should have never been as powerful melee wise as a warrior. I mean a warrior is meant to be sorry, Shadow Knight. Yes. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) I was gonna grab it before (laughs) before
1: Chat got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Shadow Knight was never supposed to be, you know, on par with a warrior just for, you know, you know, pounding something. Right? They don't they weren't supposed to have the hit points, they weren't supposed to have armor, but I mean what they did have was the ability to cast spells, which kinda leveled the playing field, right? Um, I believe then they have life tap.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's like you have, have this ability. To, yeah, you have this ability to get your health back, but the warrior didn't have that, right? So in that regard, it's kind of a balance, where it's not equal. But to go back to answering your question, really comes when it comes to addressing those issues. It's trying to look at and see what the problem actually is. Uh, you know, do you have a series of abilities that just suck that aren't useful? Because the idea, the concept was like, well, people would use it this way. But I mean, and I'm sure Sean speaks for this. It's like the, 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 the idea thing, but in reality, it's people do something completely different that you never expected. Uh, like in Camelot, we had, uh, <laughs> the stunning series with Midgard, which is what they call Stun Guard. And everybody knew that that was a problem. Uh, and, it, it was eventually fixed um but it took a while because anytime you try to weaken or nerf another class or another group then all of a sudden the people who've been quiet are all of a sudden you know very vocal about how you made their their, their class useless and i can't play like this anymore so i mean it's 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 a tough balancing act uh no pun intended but it, it's it's tough to try to get everything in line to where it should be because you know you don't really know you see people doing it yeah. And it's just really getting on the
0: data. Yeah. And then there's there is the, the flavor of the month challenge that C forty one thirteen mentions um, where yeah, it's it's the unintentional all of a sudden someone figures out how to do this thing that makes them even better and now we've got the imbalance. But so there are a couple of questions that have popped up, uh, going back to your guide experience. Mr. Goodman asked, any good guide stories in relation to player discipline? Those are always pretty funny to hear. We do talk about those here. Um, And then uh, Bobby asked, did you ever take control of a monster in those big GM events uh, from back in the day? So we've got a couple guide questions. So it's easier for me to answer this first guide question from uh,
1: when when I was working at Camelot. Uh, when I was in Camelot, uh, early on, there was a, uh, there was a warp, uh, I guess that people were using where, you know, people were just literally punching coordinates and going, you know, to specific locations. Uh, you know, at first it was kind of, it, it was easy to catch because you'd, you'd see someone all of a sudden they're gone. And, you know, you're trying to figure out if it's latency or not. But, well, it's, 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 it's a hack. And, uh, what I used to do is I would, Literally snoop somebody, which meant that I could see their chat and every conversation that they were having, guild chat, personal chat, whatever. If it was in game, it was. And I remember following this guy one time, which was a command. And, uh, he, you know, it's people, and when people warp, it's like everyone would, would, would file a petition. You know, anyone around them would call a petition. So I found the guy, which was easy enough. And then I started following and I'm just sitting there watching him and reading this chat. Not a whole lot's going on. All of a sudden he just, just teleported just was just gone and but he's still talking and so i like went back to him again and you know as I'm, he's walking around it's like i'm following him and he stops again and then he teleports again and i remember the guy I was like hey man uh so we got reports that you're you know that you're doing this uh thing you're warping and uh i don't remember what skill was at the time but he's like you know i i remember i, I remember talking to him about it. He's like, oh dude, I'm, I'm not chat. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And he immediately goes to chat and starts talking to people in his guild about, Hey man, I'm talking to the guy. I'm, I'm totally doing this. And he can't do it. <laughs> and I was like, and, and so I interrupted his guilt chats. Like, yeah, dude, I'm totally sitting here watching you do this. And he just got banned. And, you know, seeing him get kicked off the server, you know, everyone in his guild was like, oh shit. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's the, that's one of the first ones. Like there are a whole lot of other things like that. Cause people do some really cheap things. I'm not going to lie, but I mean, it's especially when you don't think you're paying attention, but, um, there there are a lot of stories like that. And I'm sure there are other, other juicy stories that other people can tell you, but that's, that's one of the cleanest ones I can tell you.
0: I will, uh, I will. Yeah. I will not, um, I will not confirm or deny the ability of, uh, Customer service to do what Jeremiah just said in um, in EverQuest, but it is it is uh, hypothetically it is funny the shit that people say when they think it's like what do I tell them? Well, just lie to them, okay. But wh- what should I say? And you're just like, yeah, yeah. Um, tc twenty thirty. Thank you for the follow. Um, let's see. And did you participate in any of the like GM events or live events or anything? I know as a GM I did a bunch, but I don't remember if I did any as a guide.
1: I'm, I'm sure I did some as a guide, but I mean, I think for me uh, on Seven, I like I knew a lot of folks on that server, not, not because I played with them, but you know, people saw me enough that you know, uh, and, and I think also. Coming from the player perspective, I wasn't super hardcore about anything, so I was kind of more easygoing about certain things. It's like, I think back then, I think more people would have been happy that I showed up than some of the other folks. Um, but I mean, I think that you know there were things that went on, sort of like weddings or even as far as GM events. Like, you know, you'd sit there and you would just watch basically. You know, I mean, because you can't, you don't want to use your abilities. You don't want to make. You don't want anyone to feel like they're getting, you know, they're getting some kind of advantage. It's like look, I'm just sitting here. I don't have any weapons in my hand. I'm literally just sitting here cross-legged watching it. And, uh, you know, we always got permission before we did anything like that just because, you know, we want not to be any sense of impropriety. Um, but I mean, those were fun back in the days. And I think that's the thing that made guiding a lot of fun is that it was just really interacting with people and just hanging out and shooting shit. It was just,
0: it was just fun. Yeah. There's something, there is something to doing customer service where you would actually appear, and be face-to-face with your customers in, like, this badass setting. Like, it made it a little more interesting, I guess, than, like, Mm -hmm. just responding to an email of, like, okay, we've looked into it, and your item's now on your account. Um, It was more like, oh, shit, we investigate it. We think you're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Here's your item. At which point, then he tells his friend, dude, they totally bought it. I just got a free item. (laughs) And then, yeah, you've got to suspend them. But, like, Um, not asks. I know many artists look at their older work and just hate it and they see nothing but flaws. Is it like this for designers? Do you ever think back and wonder, uh, what you're thinking with regards to design decisions? I know I've never questioned any of my design decisions. Jeremiah, you, you must be one of the few, uh, Yes. I think that you look back at every. I look back
1: at everything thinking about how I could have done something better. But I mean, that comes with experience, right? It's like you did something, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And then you come back looking at it a little bit later It's like, man, no, I could have done that too. And that would have been really awesome. But I mean, you know, you do it the next time. I think that, um, one of the things that I learned from, uh, working on on, on Camelot specifically is that, uh, as I was playing the game, I could not play it from the standpoint of just being a, it's like I was seeing flaws and problems that either I introduced or the guy sat next to introduced, mm-hmm. and you just couldn't play the game objectively. It's like you're playing and you just couldn't switch that side off. Um, so I just got to the point where I had to really stop playing the games I worked on because I enjoyed them. Right. Um, I couldn't enjoy playing them. But I could still enjoy working on them and still doing things and getting, you know, hearing feedback and watching people suffer uh to my down you know, with my content. But honestly, yeah, I don't think I don't think there's anything I ever put in that I didn't I could say, what I could have done that just a little bit better.
0: Yeah. No, and it's um It's especially tough when you, when you let something slip through and it it doesn't get caught at any point in the process. And the second Mm -hmm. you see it, you're like, Oh shit, man. I can't believe I, uh, I can't believe I let that happen. You know, I definitely feel guilty. Um, Nora 86, thank you for the follow. Thanks for being here. Uh, another question. Uh, a previous avid, as a previous avid player from Canark to Omen's War. Just want to let you know. Oh, okay. I was going into question mode instead of reading first. Um, (laughs) hey, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, keep hanging out. Um, Jeremiah, you went down, you went down a different path than the EverQuest path with us, unfortunately. I know we wanted to have you. We wanted to have you apparently, whoever was supposed to send you your, um, (laughs) actual, actual offer. Uh, didn't want you to be there as much as we wanted you to be there or they were just not doing their job right that that day but um, thank you for the compliments keep hanging out here Um, and what is that name Angid Angid I'm baffled usually I'm not this bad on names
1: Sames, 86
0: Angie the same, 86. Thank you, Jeremiah. <laughs> Reindeer Knight. I got summoned by a GM in EverQuest with my friend. It's Angie. All right. I was going to go for Angie, but then it's like, <laughs> no, dude, it's not Angie. <laughs> Cut it out. Um, right on. So thanks for being here. Um and Reindeer Knight said I got summoned by a GM in EverQuest when my friend and I did a level one duel on Vision to get the message in our player names broadcast and it was something like Fires of Heaven has been defeated by Plain of Sky in our duel back when that <laughs> was a thing I guess done those yeah. not, not, the best, not the best choice on that um, cool I, I also remember letting
1: a player kill me so they could get it across that they killed a guide
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I didn't ever do that I don't think um and Angie sorry I don't know what it was about the name it just made me so awkward also I guess it was the, the compliment about Kunark and Omens of War and then I felt like maybe you would feel left out because um you didn't work on those things like I did Jeremiah yes no, that's cool. I, I, I did that um cool man all right rather than me continue to make it even more awkward i have another question for you let's do it so the design path itself i mean we talked about how you got into the industry Mm -hmm. but like was there a lead-up to it for me design was completely accidental well i guess not my history i guess not but yeah I mean, my entire
1: game career is accidental. Right. I mean, I had no intention of getting in games. Like I did EverQuest as I got in EverQuest as a way to not have to worry about paying for my account. Right. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I had no intention, uh, you know, until, uh, I had no intention of actually, uh, you know, working in games. And I remember moving out to the fanfare in 2001 in San Diego and I don't remember, I don't even remember Jill or not. But we stayed, uh, Jeff and I stayed at Jill's place. And, uh, we, we actually came into the office. I think when we were on, was it Tremont, Tremont Square? What, what was that really called back in the day?
0: And Jill from Sony?
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I do. Jim Bay? Yep. Uh, we, uh, so we actually came into the office and guided, uh, from the office. I think I was sitting next to free Frida, 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 I don't know name and, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so that was really cool to just sit there working, uh, with you guys. And, uh, you know, that was, the, they made us the offer at the, at the banter in San Diego. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. I remember we went at the places and, uh, because uh, we just really couldn't find it. But, um, you know, when I, when I got the, when I applied at mythic, I honestly just sent in my resume, not expecting to ever hear anything back to them because I mean, the reality is like, you you get the impression that just about anybody, I mean, anyone can do CS, honestly. Right. I mean, uh, but you expect them to be flooded with applications, uh, and you almost don't expect to hear from them. And then when they got back to me, like the next day, I was kind of like, Oh, okay. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I went into interview. I remember going into my interview. I was wearing a suit and tie, and this was this was August. July or August in uh in in, in Virginia? So you know, <laughs> it was hot as balls. And uh, I walked into the office, and uh, I'm greeted by the uh, CS manager at the time, a guy named Jason, and he's wearing a t-shirt and jeans and black. Shirt. It's like, okay, well, you know, you know, they have a relaxed atmosphere. And then I walked by what would eventually become a guy named Eric wearing a hat that just basically said, fuck you. And I'm like, wow, well, I'm definitely overdressed. <laughs> and so I, uh, you know, interviewed and, uh, you know, they'd be like, we'll let you know. And, uh, but it seemed good. And, uh, you know, I got an offer, uh, later that day. So, I mean, I was like, all right, cool. And then, so I, you know, I expected that I was going to do this for a little while, just to kind of save up some money, you know, pay off student loans, and then, you know, like I said, eventually go to grad school or something. And then I moved over into development, and I'm like, okay, this is a whole different beast. The like I said, started off doing just kind of front lining, just doing anything that they needed, you know. So right. I mean, it was, it was you know, monster population, you know, putting monsters in dungeons. Uh, it was. Uh, then it turned into like encounters and doing some, you know, text here and there. Then it was also quests. Uh, and then it turned into, um, building dungeons. Uh, then it turned into designing a tool to build dungeons and then working on the tool to populate dungeons and the rest of the world. Um, so, you know, I, I found that that system side was a lot more fun and creative to me than the other content side. Uh, and so every place I worked, uh, I mean, although when I went to EDO, uh, I still did content creation, but I was also doing a lot of the same stuff. We didn't do as much on tools because they had their own tools, legacy tools that have been around. Um, and then when I went to King's Isle, you know, I worked with the tools guy there as well, uh, because I would say that in my entire 15 years in the industry, uh, Mythic had the best tools of any project, a product I worked with. Like my. By- Bar none. No one had created tools tool flexible as good as what they had created in Mythic. And So everywhere I went, it was and it gets to that same level. and uh, yeah because like, content takes a while. And we might have, you know fifty hours, eighty hours working on uh, an encounter that the player them like maybe thirty minutes, to two hours working on. you know to to, to complete so it's like we spend exponentially more time creating content than they consume it right (laughs) so trying to speed that up became more important in a lot of ways
0: and when you when you look at how that prepared you for what you're currently doing do you I mean, do you feel like that was a very natural progression into your current work, or did you feel like you had to kind of restart a little bit when you got out of games?
1: You know, it it was a little bit of both, um, because now I do everything in Illustrator uh, as opposed to in some company's proprietary tool, you know, be it it writing script in XML script or Lua script or whatever, you know. And in a lot of ways... It's, it's easier because you don't have a thousand people on the VM boards talking about how much you suck. Right? right. So, but I mean, I think it's still just as, uh, meaningful because I mean, the work you're doing is helping people do things easier, you know, giving them more confidence in, mm-hmm. in, in, making things. Like when I was working uh, on, uh, on a product in Zynga, <clears throat> like the developers uh, and the designers were all working in the same server. So, you know, if a, if a, if a designer is trying to make a, a minor change, like adding a line of text, just to, you know, something that appears on the screen, and they forget the closing, um, parentheses, they crash the server. And, you know, Oof. 30 developers are pissed off because, you know, left, uh, you know, a left out a, uh, a, a parentheses, a closed parentheses. And so, you know, that's, that's a lot. Not for everybody. Um, But I mean, all in all, I I still think that it's. I mean, I think the biggest change really was learning Illustrator. Um, But I also feel like the learnings from just games in general, things that you know people are willing to do, I think it puts you also in a different mindset, right? Because I mean, I know a lot of times people just want to, you know, they want to dismiss. A complaint from a, a customer or a player is like, "Oh, that player is just dumb or whatever." They just don't get it. And uh, the reality is, it's like, you know, if you empathize with it a little bit, it's like sometimes it's just, laser, just assume that the lazy, just assume that the customer, or the player is lazy. They didn't read something all the way through. That's really what it is most of. Um, <clears throat> because you know, I mean, people have a limited amount of time, and they want to do, you know, they want to rush through a lot of text, and they don't want to read it. So, I mean, how do you? Make this the way they don't necessarily have to read, you know, as much. Because you remember back in the day, man. Like EverQuest had tons of dialogue and tons of text, right? And it got to the point where, like, even in EverQuest, it's like when you're doing a quest, you just look for the underlying link, right? That's the thing that you need to get.
0: You can you can click the bracketed words now, so it's a little right. bit easier. But still, it's it's not the most intuitive. Yeah.
1: so so, I mean it's it's I mean all of that has kind of fed into uh it's 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 fed into how I view what I do and how I you know take that into account like who who I'm trying to help really so I mean
0: all right I've got another one after this but uh Brandon asked uh, what was the process to get a unique GM event item award approved so I probably have more exposure to that than Jeremiah did um so we had like a we had a notebook that showed us what events we could run, basically how to set them up, uh what the codes were to turn into certain monsters or turn players into certain things. And it had a list of items. If we wanted something added to that for whatever reason, then we would have to send it up to the developers and, and honestly it's pretty hit or miss back in the day as to whether or not you're gonna get any sort of response. So yeah. That was that was how it worked. Um And I remember that from my GM experience, but yeah, let's see. And she said back when EQ came out, it didn't have the, uh, didn't have those words with the bracket. Um, it's like trying to figure out. Oh, it didn't have the words with bracket. You had to figure it out. Yeah, they didn't all have brackets, right? I could have sworn that was like a a newbie sort of apprentice thing we had to go back and do is try to make things a little more intuitive in text.
1: Right, because I seem to recall you having to repeat the special phrase back to them along with the dialogue. Yeah,
0: That was just in chat. Um, And then later on we used that fact to hack scripting by making invisible words that players couldn't see, that NPCs could hear and we would shout them all over the zone so that we could get NPCs to do things that they weren't intended to do.
1: It's, it's, it's funny. Cause I mean, I, I, I look back at the stuff that we were willing to do in EverQuest and put up with EverQuest because it was, the, it was really the first successful MMO, right? I mean, it was, it was the first major one. Uh, and I know the guy, I know Richard Garrett's you know, Ultima Online was there and uh, Meridian, what, Meridian 99?
0: Uh, right, uh, Meridian 59? <laughs>
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's, yeah, 59, but, uh, I mean, EverQuest was like the first one that was really approachable. And then you know, that we were willing to put up with, it's like, you know, it was just part of the game. I mean, and we carried that into Camelot, you know, and we tried to make some things a little bit easier, you know, hyperlinks and whatnot. So you can click on text. Uh, but then when you look at like what wow did, like wow, like really watered that down and made himself so much more accessible than both of us, you know, yeah. And it's just crazy just how how the genre progressed. But it's also really cool though, right? I mean because each game brought new people into, history and they were into the genre and they might be willing to check out some of these other games.
0: But it's crazy, man. So Jasmine and I were we were running errands earlier today and we had a conversation about this very thing. And I I looked at her dead serious, and I said, okay, so if we were to make a new game, there would be no quest assistance. There would be no seeing who has a quest. We'd take it back to the old-school EQ. And there would be no record of what you have to do next, only whatever you completed last. There would be a journal that say, you did this. And we'd send your ass straight back to the message board straight back to the cheat (laughs) site straight back into the community straight back into oc like hey who do i talk to just to just to make you talk to some other people that's it so that's my plan people are like when are you going to make another mmo i'll just keep throwing ideas like that out and they'll stop asking they'll be like don't make another mmo that's horrible but that's my thought on it um (laughs) that's pretty hardcore um turnip asks, which company that you worked for took the best care of its employees
1: um
0: hmm, that's a tough one i think of the companies i
1: worked for i I honestly would have to say that zynga probably did the best job uh and i I think yeah i mean it's the same it's 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 the same thing that you know most people have and when they work, you know, the kind of culture that they have. And I think, you know, people get the idea that working in games, it's all literally all fun in games In games. Um, some are a little more, uh, like with mythic, uh, you know, we had our annual Christmas product party, uh, party. We had our, uh, you know, we had our weddings, although those are kind of, you know, discontinued because of a one bad night involving alcohol. Um, company that he and i both worked at together didn't seem to get the whole idea that you know even though you spend 40 plus hours a week you know uh, in the salt mines like you might want to be able to just kind of go catch a movie like the release of a star wars movie or whatever lord of the rings for us um but i think zynga i think zynga had the best um I think I had the best experience with them. You know, we had, you know, we had our quarterly parties. We had our, uh, you know, I remember one year they gave us, uh, you know, 3DSs, like the entire dev team 3DSs. Hmm. Um, so this was like 2010, 2011. Uh, there was always some kind of quarterly thing to look for. They sent us a beer pong table. We had sit down arcades, you know, we had catered, uh, you know, we had, uh, lunches, uh, in, in the break room. We had snacks. And, you know, I mean, there's, that's the bit of a sword. You know, if you have stuff in the break room, you're less likely to leave the office, so you're more productive or you're at least in the office. Yeah. <clears throat> so that can work against you. You know, there was always fruit, uh, coffee. It's the little things, you know, where, you know, you don't feel like you're being nickel and dime. And I think that Zynga was very good and very generous uh, in that regard, more so than anybody else I work with.
0: All right. Yeah, I I do think the company you might have been referring to did get a little bit better on the um take you to the to the Alamo watch movie get a little bit of food front, I think. I may be misremembering, but yeah. Um the the the, the free beer in uh in Hamburg at Big Point was uh Every every Thursday they unlocked uh, unlocked the beer fridges and we had that Ooh. nice courtyard. That was nice. Um, it was. So it was a nice way to sort of hang out. But um, let's see. Um, did the lack of quest guidance lead to a lot of GM tickets? Turnip asked. Uh, I I'm trying to think. I think we got to you know, a a fair amount of like, Hey, I think this quest is broken because it wasn't intuitive or Hey, I think this quest is broken because the NPC legit ate your items. Um, so I do, I do think it was, you could say generally the lack of quest guidance, um, or the sort of lack of sophistication, um, of the quest system at the time definitely generated, um, tickets, um, I still think we could do a a, a pretty, like, hard to, f- not hard to figure out, pretty unstructured quest system and, and maybe still avoid some of those problems. Because it was just one of those things where you could just feed the wrong shit and and then it would, instead of kicking it in back, just eat your items and stuff like that, if I remember correctly, right, Jeremiah?
1: Yep. Yeah, that was always a problem. Um, you yeah, know, there was always an issue. I remember there was one in... North Corona, maybe. Uh, it was a centaur. Uh, and that if you were trying to turn in an item and they were non aggressive, uh, and if something happened while you were turning it in, and you became aggressive he just ate your item and ignored that you'd ever hand it to them. And uh, I remember having to, I remember personally having to follow a bug that because, you know, I was standing there by myself. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't aggressive. He wasn't aggressive towards me, but somebody meandered into the area and he just lost his shit and charged after him. So yeah, I remember having to. I'm around uh, to send
0: that one in. Yeah. So, in terms said, um, yeah, items got you at all the time. I think that's one area where I would probably give some latitude for change. Yeah, we we would want to we'd want to turn in and stuff not to be janky, um but you know, all the putting exclamation marks over your head and shit like that. No, no. And Jasmine's like, can you randomize where the quests are? I was like, that's the ticket. Let's just let's go. Let's make it as unintuitive in that regard as possible.
1: Yeah, it's like always being, you know, always be looking for the quest guy. You know, that's what people want to be doing. Although it's not a bad idea, it's just, yeah, people people don't want to do that. Yeah.
0: Well, the internet's gotten much bigger, Jeremiah. We can find we can find sixty thousand masochists uh, and charge ten dollars a ten dollars a month. That is true. Frank said, Zynga was great to full-time employees, a little less so to con- uh, contracted. I've run into that a bit in my experience as well, where uh, contracted folks sometimes get left out or, or get forgotten about. And that's always a shame. I, I will say, and I'm not just trying to say it, but I, I'll say on the teams I've been on, we've always tried to like keep an eye out for our contractors and make them feel like they're a full-time employee whenever possible. Yeah. Um, and- I've seen that as well, and I, I, I you know, in that one
1: specific of DS's, you know, I remember them being excited, but I didn't realize that the contractors weren't getting as well. When I found it out, it's like all of a sudden I felt shit. It's like, but I mean, I guess now I'm technically in management. I understand that the company has bonuses and blah blah blah, and how it's treated because they're a contract employee and how they get paid and gifts, blah blah blah. So it's like, from the company standpoint, it's it's just easier to just have this line, this hard line that, you know means they won't be liable for these kinds of things sucks absolutely guys yeah. the contract work just as hard as you do
0: yeah um let's see punch you kick you spaffy twitch thank you for the follows thank you for being here uh no turnip jasmine is not literal satan it was just an idea <laughs> what we'll we'll continue to work through the design ideas with her Um,
1: it is an art form
0: yeah Um, so just real quick while I've got you here um, so going back even further the what were there things that you did I mean I know you said you, you played some pen and paper back in the day but were there things that you think were part of just your growing up that made it so that when the opportunity presented itself to get in the industry, you knew that was the thing you wanted to do. Or,
1: I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because I mean, I, I grew up, you know. I, so for me, I grew up playing games, but I also grew up playing sports. You know, I'm from Texas, so played a lot of football, um, and. For me, I assume that I would either be working at some, you know, textile mill or, uh, you know, doing something with my degree. Uh, but I mean, it's like, as I got graduation, I realized, man, I don't really want to do this. And I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think this, but it's like, you know, you spend four or five years, whatever, in, in, in you know, college in your degree. And, you know, you always have this idea that you know exactly what you want to do when you, you know, when you graduate because I studied in school. And I came out. and was like, you know what? I, I'm not feeling this anymore. And so, for me, the game, the game gig was kind of a nice. It, 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 it was kind of a, it was a way to ensure that yeah, I was going to be making money while I figured out exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and it just happened that I enjoyed it, and uh, you know, was able to kind of, you know, advance in the in the industry, uh, and that's what kept me in. You know. I think, I, I think, I think the reality for me is like, the games. I know I've talked to a lot, I know I've talked to a lot of people who are trying to break into games. It's like, how'd you do it, man? How'd you do it? And I'm just like, honestly, I started from the ground floor and it wasn't, you know, a dream, you know, it wasn't my dream job in games. It was kind of just something that landed in my lap and I, you know, took the opportunity instead of just being like, nah, that's cool. Um, because you know that's just this it's infinitely fine. I mean, I, I was doing it for EverQuest, so I knew I could do the I knew I could do the job. Uh, and yeah, it turned it, to it, and you know I discovered I actually had a passion for designing games as well as not just playing them, but actually working on them and and trying to create content for people and trying to create fun fun people. Um, so you know, yeah. I mean, while I had the opportunity, you know, I was going to take full advantage of it, and, and I met some really great people. And it's like you find that the people you work with in games, like a lot of folks you work with in games, are really inspirational as well. It's like you draw from them. You know, it's like <clears throat> we had some really uh, wonderful artists, uh, you know, at Mythic that would show you some stuff that they're just working on in their free time. It's like, man, yeah. that's really awesome. You feel inspired by that. It's like, you know what? We could probably use that. Um. So, you know, I mean, you see a story or a movie, you're like, you know, it'd be cool if we had something that, you know, that was similar to that, you know, that people could kind of draw uh, or something you'd like to work on. And so I, I, I think that just everything that you, everything that you encountered in the world, world could be fed in some way into the game and, or through your work. And that was, you know, that was, that was just fun. So, I mean, it kept you there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird working around, such talented people like walking by somebody's monitor and seeing shit. And you're just like, how are you a human being? And you're capable of just like having a blank screen and turning pixels into this. Like it's it's the craziest feeling to be around, like really talented programmers, really talented artists, like great storytellers. Um, and, and actually be around it so much that you take it for granted and then every once in a while, it's like a reminder of like, wow, these guys are some of the best people in their field. Hmm. Um, yeah, but I also and-
1: like to add though, it's amazing how much stuff. It's amazing how much stuff we also drew from other existing games. Like, yeah, you know, they say, uh, "Who was it? Copying is this a serious form of flattery." Mm-hmm. Uh, true, because it's like you play a game, you see something that's cool. Like I know there's a lot of stuff, in you know Camelot that was borrowed from. Borrowed uh, EQ, just like I saw. There was a lot of stuff, in WoW and wow, was borrowed a lot. I mean, it's you know, we're to spin on it, and it, you know, it's 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 cool. I mean, you see something that that you worked on first, and you got out there, and then you see it somewhere actually Like, yeah, okay, that's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I thought it was fun. Like, we spent a lot of time looking at how to steal stuff from, like you know, Nintendo. Right, like right. it was like how do we you know how do we how do we make something that feels a little bit more like um, you know you're interacting with the world or you have to consider like the actual space that you're in and things of that nature. So, um, and I'm not just saying that because of your T-shirt. Um, <laughs> let's see, any stories involving um, terms of service names that you had to change? Example: Angie says I had a halfling druid name. Porkson, your mom. I was 13 at the time and had to have a GM force change my name. So I changed to and Beans.
1: Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the early days of Camelot, they tried to be a little more rigorous in having more role-playing fantasy-like games. Like, I remember there was a guy named Terminator or whatever, uh, and, you know, someone reported that. I'm like, so... But it was like, well, it states that you know we have to have fantasy-like games. I'm like, all right, uh, that turned into some big deal. And it's like, man, this is silly. I think that actually prompted a bit of a change and kind of loosening the because uh, it wasn't a role playing service. It a role playing server per se. I mean, it was like the entire game. And uh I remember, <laughs> there are things that I'm having to change. It was uh rumpled foreskin. Um, I want to say there was a testosticles. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, people get really creative Uh, and and, uh, people are really obsessed with poop, by the way. Like it's amazing how, how many people would try to get poop in there somehow. And I I don't know if you guys also experienced this, but I mean, we looked at things as kind of a, uh, uh, there were two things that we kept an eye on time to penis and time to swastika. And the amount of time it takes when you put something new in the game before a swastika or penis gets drawn out of it or made from it. It's just fascinating to see how how obsessed people are
0: with these things i forget which guest it was but we were having the conversation of time to penis and I, I was explaining that there was something called ttp time to penis yep and i forgot about time to swastika um so tts uh which people would draw with corpses and all sorts of mm-hmm. other stuff items Put on the bags. ground yeah um yeah i those two, I guess, because they're fairly easy. Yep. Yeah. Um, in terms of names, yeah, poop, penis, anything involving your mom. Um, oh yeah. I mean, you know, and then some people were more creative and got to keep their names for a long time, like Tiggle Bitties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but now uh, he is he is advanced in the industry and has had to deal with players of his own. So right on um, Angie no worries <laughs> don't need to apologize about your mom um, we, we, we saw a lot of your mom <laughs> so. yeah Sappy Twitch do you guys watch Mythic Quests parody of MMORPG studio and it has an entire episode dedicated to TTP oh yeah that's right that that came up uh, hell I think was it Frank somebody somebody actually mentioned Mythic Quest and I wrote it down um, I haven't watched it. No, it was the first I heard of it the other day on stream.
1: That's on like Apple TV or something like that, isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I was going to have to Google it because I'm, I'm not, honestly, I'm not on the TV very much, especially lately with all the streaming. Um, yeah. Definitely you know, check I, it out.
1: I, you know, it's funny when we think about games and media, you know, I think uh, I, I always shock people when I say this, but uh, the, the movie uh, Grandma hate that movie just because of how it really didn't capture games and what it was like working in the gaming industry. I thought the best representation of games when working in the industry that I remember seeing was on the, the season uh, finale of uh, Silicon when those guys spent all that time uh, on the board about how to draw the, uh, the most efficient way to, um, I guess it was essentially giving you a job or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's like, that was like, that was games. Like they got it.
0: So, so you broke up during Grandma's Boy, right? So you're saying Grandma's okay. Boy was not accurate, but the whiteboard scene at the end of the season,
1: season one of Silicon Valley.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The middle out, the middle out knots. Um, yeah. And why do you say that? Just because of the level of intensity that they're arguing and like whiteboarding? Yes, because Absolutely. I mean, you get people who get things, and man, they have to figure it. And you know, it can be developers. Or-
1: and, 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 and designers but yeah dude i mean like the intensity and, and granted you know what they were talking about that's not so much that it just happened to be funny but it's just that they were willing to go the extra mile to figure this thing out and i thought that was great
0: yeah like some really hardcore drawing like it's always like crazy drawing on the whiteboard too where you're like really arguing about the aerodynamics of a dragon's wings or something mm-hmm. It's like, oh, bullshit, bullshit, (laughs) bigger here. Like, so, yeah, Um, let alone the actual technical arguments. Yep. Yeah, man. All right. So we are at, we're creeping up on 8 o'clock my time. That means roughly two hours have elapsed.
1: Yeah, but I hopefully don't have any meetings right now, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's more of a problem for you than me, but, yeah. Turnip said, someone drew the dick Buck guy in the EC tunnel the other day. Good. I'm glad to see the players still have it in them. Oh, man. That's, that's, that's always good to see. Yeah. So, all right, dude. We are hitting a point where it almost feels like a natural break. Some questions have slowed down. Um, two hours makes for a nice VOD. What I'm thinking is, um, if you... If you can think of anything else we need to cover right now, let's hit it. Otherwise, well, i will follow up with you right after this. Uh, Inevitably, what happens is as soon as we get off, I think of a bunch of shit that I wanted to ask. And so I start lining up the second appearance. Um, Hopefully, you run into some of that stuff as well and start thinking about uh, maybe some stories. If you find any of those documents... What might be fun is go through all of your old design documents and things like that, that you've got stashed. And then um, your, your appearance today was pretty short notice for the community. What we can do is talk about a second appearance. We'll get all of your secrets and we'll let them know in advance and we'll see if we can drum up some more of the old Dayok heads and folks like that. Sure, man. And then what I'm going to do right after this, I'll be a thousand percent honest with you before I get any hangrier is I'm going to, uh, I'm going to eat a bunch of food on stream. Sorry guys. Uh, you can all bail tell other streams when that happens, but it, it's going to <laughs> happen. Um. All right. So hey, turnip, pleasure, says, turnip said they have to go, just had to go watch the middle out scene again. Um. Yeah. And Angie, thank you for the follow. Um. yeah thanks chat for the questions uh, this is a fun one this was our first guest that was basically allowing us to really focus on the rest of the industry and not just EQ development usually there's a lot of like super hardcore lore and um, EQ specific questions but yeah man thanks Jeremiah hey, my pleasure dude thanks for having me absolutely Talk to you soon, like in two minutes okay. after coming <laughs> up. I'll shoot you a message. All right. All right, dude. Everyone have a good one. <laughs> Bye-bye. Right. Bye bye. Bye,